I'm so thankful that you're here today. And uh, it's been an awesome week getting this building ready. Just got the keys just a few days ago. And uh, so many volunteers that came in to help set up this space. And uh, it's been like extreme makeover church edition the last couple of days around here. And uh, God, God is so good. Thank you for being here. You can find a seat. If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it and uh, go to 2 Kings chapter 6. And over the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we've been calling Gaining Ground because we are moving into this new territory, this new uh, season as a church. And where many churches might be closing their doors, we're opening up our doors and we're we are gaining ground in this season. We don't want to fall backwards. We want to move forward for the glory of God. No matter what venue we might meet in, our mission remains the same. Reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And as you leave today, you can see that painted on the wall. Because we never want to lose sight of why we're here. It's not about us. And next week, we're going to have more seats and more opportunities because it's all about the people that need to hear the gospel message, that need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's enough bad news going around in the world today. We have access to the good news. So we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it with the world. Today, as we transition into this new building, I want to look to a passage of Scripture where there was another group of God's people who were also transitioning into a new building. And this group of people was also gaining ground and moving to a brand new location. And uh, we're going to be, and uh, uh, we've been studying how Elisha was the master of momentum in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you're ready today, would you say amen? amen? We'll just read a couple of verses to get started this morning. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee, is too straight for us. In other words, uh, this place is too small. The place where we are living, it's too small for us. Verse 2, let us go, we pray thee unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and they Uh, When they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam or cutting a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas. Everybody say, "Alas." Alas. He said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick. And he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Started swimming. The axe head came to the top. Verse 7, therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. He put out his hand, and he took it. Today I want to bring a message that I'm calling this, get your edge back. I want to talk for a few minutes about how we can get back our spiritual edge. Are you ready today? Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the, the amazing spirit in this place. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness and for your goodness and for your provision in our lives for this building. Thank you for our uh, teams that have been so uh, bathing this moment in prayer. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss out 
on the message that you have for us today. God, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted or deterred from uh, what you want to teach us and what you want to communicate to us in this moment. And so I pray that we can have a holy focus on this passage in 2 Kings chapter 6. And God, I pray that we can leave this place with a renewed and refreshed spirit. I pray that we can leave this place uh, knowing how that we can recover uh, the spiritual edge that you want us to function with. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever lost something valuable? Can I see your hands? How many of you have ever lost the remote control in your house? That's something that's valuable. Uh, my daughter, Blakely, she loves little creatures. She loves little bugs, and, and uh, you would think that maybe she would be afraid of them or not want to touch them, but just the opposite. She always wants to find them and make a little house for them and bring those little bugs and little creatures inside of our house, and then she'll lose those little bugs and creatures inside of our house, and so we're, we're trying to always find those things, and, and uh, the other day, Katie and I were at a store, and it was kind of like a gift shop, and they had this, they had this glass ladybug. And that was just this little tiny trinket, a glass ladybug. And we thought, man, Blakely would love that. And so we bought that uh, little ladybug and we brought it home. We gave it to Blakely and she loves it. She carries it around with her and she uh, just loves having that little ladybug uh, with her at all times. And, and uh, the other night we were watching a family movie and uh, we were watching uh, Mighty Ducks D2 classic. It's a great, great movie. You're welcome. And uh, we were watching this as a family movie. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Blakely just started crying. In real tears, not like fake toddler tears. How many of you parents know what I'm talking about? Not like fake toddler tears, but like, but like real. Some parents are like, yes, thank you. They're in the nursery this morning. And, uh, and uh, she started crying real, real tears. And, and uh, we paused the movie and we said, Blakely, what's wrong? And she said, I lost my ladybug. And uh, so then we paused the movie, we turned on all the lights, and we started searching everywhere in the house to try to find uh, this little lost ladybug. And eventually we saw it. There it was right on the shelf. And, and uh, we got that ladybug. We brought it back over to her. And she was reunited with her ladybug. And all was well in the world because she found what she had lost. You know, as you study Scripture, you find that our God is adamant. Our God is obsessed with finding lost things. Our God is adamant about finding and recovering that which is lost. We see this all throughout scripture. There's a great example in Luke chapter 15. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 4, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he had found it, laying it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He's, he's so happy because he has recovered uh, that which was lost. The very next parable in that same passage says this in Luke chapter 15, verse number 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she called her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. From that story, from that parable, we go right on to the next one in Luke chapter 15, which is the parable, the story of the prodigal son. And we see the story of the prodigal son who lost his way and lost his inheritance and ruined it all, but he was reunited with his father and restored uh, back into the family. And what we see is three back-to-back-to-back stories in Luke chapter 15 about someone recovering that which was lost. Why? Because our God is adamant about finding lost things. Uh, our God is obsessed with finding and recovering that which is lost. And hey, that's good news for us today because our world is lost and without hope. 
Our world is lost and broken in sin, and our world is lost and filled with anxiety, and our world is filled uh, with people that are hurting and broken and lost and confused. And and I want to encourage somebody today because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm thankful today that the God that we worship is adamant about finding that which was lost. We come to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we find this story of Elisha, and this man loses his axe head. And it almost seems like an obscure story, right? It almost seems like, why is this story even in the Bible? This man was cutting, chopping down some wood, and he loses his edge. He loses his axe head. And it's almost like, what's the big deal? Go to Lowe's, pick up a new one, come back, and move on next chapter. Why are we even talking about this? Seems obscure. Elisha's been doing some great things. He's been doing some great miracles. He raised a child back, uh, back to life. He uh, healed Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army of leprosy. We saw that last week in the parking lot. And uh, God's been doing some great things through Elisha. He's been doing some big things. And now we come to this chapter, and we're talking about someone that lost their axe head. And it almost seems like obscure. It seems mundane. But I believe that there's a great principle here for us. Because faith is not just for the monumental things. Faith is for the mundane things. Faith isn't just for the big moments in life. Faith is for the everyday, ordinary situations in life. And so we see this ordinary situation. This man loses his axe head, and God is even concerned with that. He loses his edge. Now, uh, your edge on an axe head, that represents your effectiveness. And if you don't have, if you don't have an edge, it's not going to be effective, right? Solomon knew this. He knew that the edge represented effectiveness. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 10, in verse number 10, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom, uh, but wisdom brings success. And so he, even he knew that, hey, the edge represents the effectiveness. And there's nothing more frustrating in life when you have something that should be effective, but it's defective. You know what I mean? Uh, like uh, uh, several years ago, we bought a TV, and with the TV, they threw in a free sound bar. And so we had this sound bar. Great. We had this sound bar in our house. And, and uh, uh, for about six months, that sound bar has just been sitting there on our shelf, and it doesn't work. It won't connect to our TV. It's completely uh, defective. It, it doesn't work. It's, it can't operate. And uh, it looks good sitting there. Oh, we've got a sound bar, but it does nothing. You know, so many Christians go through their spiritual lives kind of going through the motions, knowing how to look good from the outward appearance, but on the inside, they're not effective in their calling. They're not effective in their ministry. And we know how to look good. We know how to have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And we can be going through the motions of ministry and we can have that axe and we can be going through the motions, but without the axe head, we don't have effectiveness. And so today I want to talk about how we can get back our edge, how we can get back our effectiveness and identify along the way where we lost it and how we can recover it. And so if you're with me today, would you say amen? Amen. I want to give us five ways that we can get our edge back. Five ways that as a church, we can get back our edge. Number one, if you want to take some notes, number one, we have to expect the growing pains. We have to expect the growing pains along the way. Notice verse number one in our text today, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. Uh, we only looked at a couple of verses, but we're going to refer back to them often. So verse number one of Second Kings chapter six, it says this. And the sons of the prophets said 
unto Elisha. Now I want to pause for a second. We've, we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks these sons of the prophets. These were ministry students. These were people in training to be the prophets. They were under the leadership of Elisha. They wanted to be in the ministry. And so Elisha was training the next generation. By the way, I love that Elisha had this heart for the next generation. It wasn't just about him. He wanted to train up more people. And at Rock Hill, uh, we love the next generation. And at Rock Hill, we love the youth at Rock Hill. Hey, we don't believe that they have the potential to change the world someday. We believe they have the potential to change the world this day. And so we want to invest in the next generation. And we want to put time and thought and effort and intentionality at what takes place in Rock Hill Kids and what takes place in, in, in Rock Hill Youth Culture because we care about the next generation. This was Elisha's heart. He spent so much time with the students just training and teaching and developing that next generation. But now the sons of the prophets, they come to Elisha in verse number one. They say this, behold now, the place where we dwell, both came some growing pains. Along with that growth, God was blessing. That's a good problem to have, but the paradox of progress is they started to grow, but now they're experiencing the difficulty of a tight space, and now they're a little bit frustrated because they're in close quarters, and now they're rubbing shoulders with people, and they just need a little bit more space, and so uh, they decide to uh, go straight to Elisha with this problem, and they also come to Elisha with the solution. By the way, there's a lesson for us. Hey, that's what a good follower of Jesus looks like. Hey, I identified a problem, but I'm also going to think of the solution. I'm not just going to go around and complain to everybody about what I don't like about the church and what I don't like about, I didn't like that song, and I didn't like the lights, how they, I don't like how they turn blue sometimes, and I don't like this, and, and we go and we identify all these problems, but hey, how about we look within, and we look at the heart, and we come to the man of God and say, hey, here's a solution, here's a thought with the right heart. They show the initiative. They didn't just take a step back and say, hey, we'll see how the leadership handles this problem. There's no more space here. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the man of God does. Let's see what Elisha does. No, they say, hey, Elisha, we noticed something. We're running out of space. Hey, let's go build some new buildings. Let's go and, and uh, start this construction project. And so they had this growth, but along with the growth came some growing pains. I'm thankful that God has blessed our church and that we have experienced growth and that uh, not just numerical growth, but we've seen growth spiritually and we've seen God moving in a great way. But just know, Rock Hill, that along with the growth is going to come some growing pains. Nobody said this was going to be easy. Nobody said that everything was going to be roses and perfect and there's going to be no problems at all. No, because we know that with growth comes growing pains. That, that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says, for a great door uh, and effectual is opened unto me. And I love this verse because Paul's like, man, there's this great opportunity before us. And, and I feel the same way this morning standing up here. What an opportunity we have before us to reach more people uh, with the gospel. There's an open door of opportunity before us. But then he says this, and there are many adversaries. Now, it's interesting because you think he would say this, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, but... There are many adversaries. You would think you would say, man, there's a great opportunity before me, but there's adversaries. But he doesn't say that. He says there's a great door of opportunity before me, and I know that there are also many adversaries. Uh, because this was not something that surprised him because he knew that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, hey, hey, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And somebody today needs to memorize that verse. Somebody needs to put that verse as a screensaver on your phone, print it out and put it on your mirror because there's so much to be worried about today. But our God has overcome the world. It's a dark place in the world today. But Jesus is the light of the world, and the darkness will not overcome it. 
And so they come to him with a problem. There's a problem here. We're running out of space. That there were some growing pains here. And so we have to expect the growing pains. Here's the second thought this morning, number two. Uh, We have to recognize that this is a group project. We have to recognize that this is a group project. Uh, have you ever uh, been in, in high school or college and you had a group project, anybody like that, where you had to work with some other people? And uh, sometimes those can be very frustrating, right? Because your grade now is not just contingent upon what you do. It's contingent upon what the group does together. And I remember when I was in high school, we had a Spanish project where we had to do a live cooking show in front of our class. And the whole cooking show had to be in Spanish. Well, I was nervous about that. I don't speak Spanish. But I decided that I was going to work smarter, not harder. And so my three group mates all spoke Spanish. And so I made sure that I chose my friends that already knew how to speak Spanish. And I just went up there and said, bueno, every once in a while. And I got an easy A. I had to pick the right group. It's a group project. You know, this thing called life, it's a group project. God did not call us to live in isolation. He called us to live in interdependence one with another. All throughout scripture, we see this. We see this over and over and over again that this is a group project. And I I love the attitude of what we see with these sons of prophets. Notice verse number one, verse number two. They said, let us go, we pray thee unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam. I love that. That was like their campaign slogan. Hey, we ran out of space, Elisha. We need to go build a new building. Every man a beam. We're in this together. Everybody's going to grab a beam. We're going to do this together. They knew and they recognized that this is a group project. If we're going to build this new building, if we're going to uh, gain ground for God's glory, we can't do it by ourselves. We have to do it together uh, within the group, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I believe that every member is a minister. Every saint a servant. Every man uh, grabbing a beam and saying, you know what, we're in this. We want to see God do something special here. And so I'm not going to watch from the sidelines, but I'm going to pick up a beam and I'm going to pick up a hammer and a shovel and an axe. And I'm going to get to work for the glory of God. It's a group project. If you think, hey, this is just about uh, the people that are over there, the people that are on stage or the people in the sound booth. It's, you know, it's, it's up to them. No, 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 no. It's all of us. Every member, a minister. We've all got to do our part. We've all got to be in this together. They, they, they saw the need, but they also shared the load. They said, hey, every man a beam. I love what Psalm 133 verse number 1 says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. How wonderful is that? How, how beautiful is that? How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. See, the devil is not afraid of a large church. He's afraid of a united church. He's afraid of a church that is serious about this book, and it's not about the superficial reality. It's not about uh, lights or, or all these beautiful things that we're blessed with. It's about the word of God because the Bible says in Isaiah that the word of God will not return void. And in so many things we wonder about, hey, what's going to be effective? The word of God is effective. The word of God will not return void. And so we have to rally behind that and rally behind this truth. They recognize every man a beam. We've got to do this together. We've got to be on the same page. This is a group project. Number three is this today, if we're going to get our edge back. Number three, don't leave God's word behind. Don't leave it behind. We can't get so excited about our future and get so excited about what God's doing or even get so distracted by what's going on in the world that we move forward and leave God's word behind us. 
hey, we're gaining ground, but we're gaining ground with the word of God leading the way. Notice what, what happens in verse number three. They said, Elisha, can we go and build this new building in verse two? Every man a beam. And Elisha says at the end of verse two, go ye. He says, go ahead. But then they say this in verse three. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So they not only wanted his counsel, they wanted his company. They said, Elisha, we want to go and build this building, but we want you to come with us. Why? Was it because Elisha was just such a great handyman? Was it because he just knew how to use an axe really good and he just had, was a great architect? You know, why did they want Elisha to come with him? Because Elisha represented the word of God to them. He was God's prophet. See, they recognized this as more than just brick and mortar. This is a spiritual endeavor. They said, Elisha, we're going on this construction project. We want to gain some ground. And is that cool if we do that? And Elisha says, yes. And they said, okay, awesome. Now will you come with us? We want your presence. Uh, we want you to be a part of this. You, you represent the word of God. We can't leave the word of God behind. Come with us and speak to us and train us the word of God. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make, make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. See, Joshua knew something about gaining ground. He knew something about gaining some new territory. And he said, hey, if we're going to do this from the outset, we have to recognize it's more than military strategy. It's more than a great architect plan. It's more than great uh, systems that we put in place. It's all contingent upon the word of God. And so don't let the word of God uh, leave your mouth. Let, let it constantly be flowing from your mouth and you're prioritizing the words of the Lord. He says, and then you'll have success. See, the only way that we're going to have success as a church is if we build our foundation on Jesus Christ and the word of God. We can't leave the word of God behind. I think it's interesting that they come to Elisha and they say, hey, we want your permission, but more than we want your permission, we want your presence. Will you be with us? 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Can I tell you today that Jesus not only gave us permission to change the world, he gave us his presence to change the world. He said, hey, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And yes, in 2020, we have turmoil. And yes, we have political tension. And yes, we have economic instability. And there's so many things to worry about. But can I tell you today that we have access to the presence of God. And the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And so not only do we have God's permission to reach the world, we have his presence to reach the world. We're not alone in this. No matter how much you feel like, man, I'm just all by myself in this. No, he is by your side. Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can we fear no evil? For thou art with me. He's with us. The presence of God. And so many people today aren't experiencing the peace of God because they're not encountering the presence of God. You want God's peace that he says you can have? You have to access his presence. You have to go to him. Spend time in prayer and reading his word. He's given us his permission. He's given us his presence. And notice what Elisha says. Uh, he answered in verse number three. He said, I will go. I love that Elisha, this wasn't too big for him. It wasn't about a position for Elisha. It wasn't like, you know what, actually I'm called to study the word of God and, and, and prophesy the word of God. And so I'm not going to go and lift a hammer. 
that's not in my job description. Thank you very much. No, he said, this is where we need help. I'm there. You know what that is? A servant spirit. You know what at Rock Hill we're all about? Servant leadership. Hey, I'll clean the bathrooms. Hey, hey, I'll do whatever it takes because I just want to be a part of the mission. If someone's going to Mars, I don't care what spot I have. I just want to be on the spaceship. I just want to have a seat at the table. I just want to be a part of what God is doing. And hey, hey, I truly believe we have the potential to change the world and we have the potential to change lives through the power of the gospel. And so I don't care about the position. I just want to be a part. I just want to have a seat at the table. Verse 4, so he went with them. Elisha goes. And they came to Jordan, and they were cutting down wood. All was going well. Uh, they go uh, to, to Jordan. They're cutting down uh, the wood. They're, they're preparing. Verse number 5. But as one was felling a beam, as one was cutting, so one certain individual was cutting down this tree. In verse number 5. The axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas! And this, this is emotion here. This is, this is uh, uh, we're, we're seeing, he, he was burdened about this. He says, alas, master. Why? For it was borrowed. Now, now we can think, you know, what's the big deal? Again, he just lost his axe. I just get another one. Well, obviously this man was poor. He couldn't afford his own axe. And so he was borrowing an axe from someone else. And he didn't have the money to pay it back. And, and not only that, I believe he was burdened because now this was going to hinder the work of the Lord. Hey, we're trying to build this new building, and now I can't even serve. I can't even be a part. I can't even, I can't even uh, uh, be a part of what God wants me to do. And so now he's burdened. He says, alas, master, for it was borrowed. You know, he still had the stick of the axe. He just didn't have the axe head. He had that stick, and he could have just gone through the motions, but without the axe head, it would have been completely ineffective. You know, a lot of people, they know how to hold on to the stick, and they know how to put on an image and portray an image, like, hey, I'm serving the Lord, I'm working in the ministry, all the while they've lost their edge, they've lost their effectiveness. And it might look like they can go through the motions, and they know the Christianese, they know what to say, they can post a verse on Facebook, and they can post the verse of the day, and they can do this and do that, all the while they've lost their edge. And this man lost his edge. He was burdened. Alas, master, it was borrowed. What is he going to do? This leads us to our next thought. The fourth way that we can get our edge back is we must pinpoint the problem. We have to identify the problem. We have to pinpoint it. Notice what it says in verse 6. And the man of God, Elisha, he says, where did it fall? Show me where you lost it. Where did it fall? When I was in college, Katie, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were dating. And uh, she called me and she just said, hey, I just was involved in a hit and run. And uh, she, someone came up behind her and hit her vehicle, and so she called me, and so I went and drove over there, and uh, we were kind of checking out the damage, and she was telling me, yeah, this guy just came up behind, he hit uh, the back of my car, and he pulled over like he was going to help, and then as soon as I was getting ready to get out of the car, he just took off, he just drove away. And uh, so as we were standing there talking, the police were there, we called the police, we were all standing there trying to figure out what was going on, and uh, as we were standing there, uh, the man that hit Katie, we saw the same car, drove by, and Katie said, that's him. 
And, and so uh, the police officer said, that's him. So he jumped in his car, and he started chasing him down. He pulled him over, and, uh, and uh, he put him, uh, uh, took him under custody, pulled him over. And then the police officer came back to Katie and I and said, hey, I want to make sure that this is the person that hit you. And so, uh, Katie, will you be willing to identify the man and make sure that it's the same person? And so we said, okay, how's this going to work? And uh, he said, uh, you're going to get in the back of my car, and we're going to go, and we're going to point out the man. You tell us if that's the right guy. And uh, the police officer looked at me and said, you can come with as well. And so we, uh, Katie and I, who were dating at the time, we both got in the backseat of a police car, and I was thinking, I just hope my dad doesn't find out about this. I'm in the back of a police car with my girlfriend. We're just driving around. And, uh, and so we drove, and uh, uh, sure enough, we saw the guy, and Katie said, yeah, that's the guy. And uh, we identified uh, the criminal so that he could, be, he could be put away. And so we had to identify the problem. I believe that's exactly what we see Elisha doing here with the man that lost his edge. He says, where did it fall? I want you to identify where it fell. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I have, I have uh, AT&T cell service. Anybody have AT&T? Yeah, it's, it's a struggle. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. And constantly I'm dropping calls with AT&T and I'm talking to someone and, and I'll just be talking away, you know, just talking, talking, talking. And then I'll just look at my phone. I'm like, I haven't even been talking to anyone. I just dropped the call. And, you know, whenever you drop a call, what do you do? You call back and you always ask the same question. Where did I lose you? Why? Because you want to know where you lost them so you could pick it back up. Spiritually, we have to identify where we lost our edge so that we can recover it. It's not enough to just say, I want my edge back. You have to pinpoint the problem. Where did it fall? Maybe you lost your edge by not spending time in God's word. Maybe you've lost your edge in your walk with God. Maybe you've lost focus in your marriage. Maybe you've lost intentionality when it comes to sharing your faith. Maybe you've lost your joy. Where did it fall? The only way to move forward is to identify, to pinpoint the problem with a spirit of honesty and humility and say, I know where I lost it. So that way we can move forward. We have to pinpoint the problem. You know, and it's not talking about, you know, well, the problem is over there. The problem is with that person. The problem is with this person. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, ponder the path of thy feet. If we just focus within, we just look at our path, what God wants us to do and where we're struggling, hey, we're going to have enough to think about right there. Ponder the path of thy feet. Where did it fall? I don't know where it is. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what's happening in your family, but I would ask you today, where did it fall? If you lost your spiritual edge, if you've lost your effectiveness, where is it? Where did it fall? This leads us to our last thought today, number five. Are you still with me today? We have to pinpoint the problem. Number five is this. We must develop a heart of sacrifice. If we're going to get our edge back, we have to develop a heart of sacrifice. Notice what it says in verse number six. And the man of God said, where fell it? Where, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. He, he knew right where it was. He showed him the place. And he cut down a stick. Now, now the word stick right there is, is the same word in Hebrew for tree. And so he cut down a tree in verse 6, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. So the axe head, this miraculously comes to the top, but how did it miraculously come to the top? They cut down a stick. They cut down a tree. A tree was what they used to, to make beams, and so what I want you to see is that that was a very valuable thing. If you're in the middle of a building project, if you're in the middle of a building campaign, and you throw one of your beams into the water, you're sacrificing something valuable. I wonder today, are you willing to sacrifice something valuable? in order to gain something eternal? They had to throw that in, and they lost the beam. 
They weren't going to get it back. They lost that tree. They lost the beam, but they got back the axe head, which was far more valuable. And I just want to tell you today that God has called us to live a life of sacrifice. And sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice what's valuable to us so that we can focus on it. Sometimes to make sacrifices, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. But it's for the eternal good. We have to develop a heart of sacrifice. I want to tell you, nothing great was ever built apart from sacrifice. God will not build his church uh, through us if we don't have a spirit of sacrifice. If it's all about us and we're just operating in the flesh, the Holy Spirit's not going to bless that. We have to have a heart of sacrifice. David Livingston lived a life of sacrifice as a missionary, and he said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. We get to do this. We get to be a part of what God is doing. And there will be some sacrifices along the way. There will be some hurt along the way. There will be some growing pains along the way. But sometimes we have to sacrifice what's valuable to gain what's eternal. And then verse 7, I love verse 7, it says this, Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it. And this is what's so encouraging today. If you've lost your edge, man, I need to get my edge back. What do I do? Reach out and take it. (laughs) There it is. Identify the problem. You don't have to take a class. If you've lost your edge, get right with God. Reach out, take it, get it back. Hey, let's use this building as the inauguration and an opportunity to get our edge back. And to say, you know what, I might have been distracted in 2020 by all these things going on. But today, October 4th, 2020, I'm getting my edge back. And I want to serve the Lord from a place of gratitude and a place of humility. We get to do this. Take it back. He didn't have to earn it. He just had to receive it. The same is true when it comes to salvation. The Bible says in 1 Timothy to lay fast hold on eternal life. What does that mean? Receive it. We don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to achieve salvation. We just receive it. It's a free gift, Ephesians 2 says. We can receive the free gift of God and experience the miracle of salvation and a home in heaven forever and eternal life. We just have to receive it. I want to read two verses and we'll be done today. Deuteronomy chapter 21 says this, And if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him upon a tree. Now, the reason I'm reading this verse is because that same word tree is the same word, Hebrew word translated stick, in verse number 6 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Are you with me? Same word. His body shall not remain. Uh, all night upon the tree, but thou shalt uh, in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. And here's why I read that verse. Same word there, tree and stick. Because that verse in Deuteronomy is quoted in the New Testament with great significance. In Galatians, that same verse is quoted in Deuteronomy. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so as we look at this sacrifice in 2 Kings 6, where they throw in a tree, they threw in a beam, we are reminded of a greater sacrifice. We are pointed ahead to the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity, the sacrifice of God's only begotten son on a cross called Calvary. And he went there to pay the price that you and I could never pay. He sacrificed his all. He sacrificed his only begotten son for you and for me. 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Apart from that sacrifice, we don't have hope. Apart from that sacrifice on the tree in Calvary, uh, we can't have a home in heaven because our sin has separated us from God. But the good news is, is Jesus paid the price that we could never pay. He wants to forgive our sins and he wants to give us a home in heaven forever. And we don't have to earn it. We just have to reach out and receive it. It's a free gift of salvation. Jesus died in our place. He sacrificed for us so that we could have a home in heaven forever. I want to encourage our church family as I close today. First service in the new building. Let's not be a church that's content with just going through the motions. Let's not be a church that loses our edge and we're okay with it. Let's use this as an opportunity to take the next step in our walk with God, to recover that which was lost, and to remember that our God is adamant about finding lost things. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.